Welcome back, Sprinkles. Don and I are coming at you on this wonderful evening straight from our bed. It's one of those days. But um, today we're going to go in depth here with Don about his childhood, um, Jehovah's Witness, and abuse. Oh, great. You said, oh, great. <laughs> Come on now. You knew what was coming. Yeah, I did. So tell us a little bit about your childhood, like within the church directly, because we've touched on this before. I will say that if you want to go back and listen to some previous episodes, people, that would be great. Um, but today we're going to go in depth about his abuse and experience within the church. Well, let's see, where where do we start? I guess just to let everybody know that at some point in my life, when I was a lot younger, I was born into being a Jehovah's Witness. And um, I think I pretty much started going my own way when I was uh, about 13, 14. Stopped going to church. Stopped doing my thing that I was supposed to do. Pissed my parents off really bad. And Why did you stop? I just I couldn't believe in it anymore. I'll tell you, the, the number one thing that I didn't like about being a Jehovah's Witness was that the whole idea that um, if you weren't a Jehovah's Witness, then you couldn't be received by God. Like, it didn't make sense to me. The whole, you know, crusades or whatever, there was plenty of time when people could have, uh, you know, been exposed to the Bible or exposed to Christianity. and the idea with Jehovah's Witnesses is that if you do not accept God, Jehovah, Jesus, their belief system, then you cannot be received by God. And I figured there was a whole bunch of people that were probably in the world that would have really no access to that kind of thing. And even if it was proposed to them, it would be so far away from their culture and lifestyle that they wouldn't accept it anyway. Well, I have a question because this brings up some some triggers for me, okay? Yeah. When we first got married, um, we had the gentleman, I'll use a fake name, Bob, come over and Bob's wife. And Bob and his wife, because I'd been divorced before, basically said, you know, they want me to join the church, but basically I'm still a dirty whore. Well, yeah, that's kind of, um, that's their mentality is it's, it's only one way. There's no, it's almost like there's no, um, there's no personal I don't want to say there's no personal. There's supposed to be a personal relationship between you and God, but that that relationship is dictated by all the rules and all the beliefs of a watchtower track society. That's, well, and the elders, from what I understand. Yeah. Well, but the elders receive all their direction from the higher-ups in the church anyway. Right. And I would say that as far as uh, churches go, I mean, it's pretty standardized. Um, they all have a certain way that they have to do things and they can't stray away from that. So it's not like 
you know, it's not like an elder can make their own decision about what they feel. Like, like, let's say you have a head elder in, in one of the congregations and that head elder decides that he, you know, is okay with, um, I mean, anything, homosexuality or adultery or anything else that those things are okay. And now we're, we're not going to have a problem. There's not, that wouldn't happen within a Jehovah's Witness organization. Now, give me the verbiage on like those people who are either whores like me or whores like you. Um, I'm just being dramatic, but literally that's what I felt like when I talked to those people. Like it was very demeaning. It was like, oh, well, you could do this because you've married into this family and here's this, but sorry for you. Go burn in hell. Like, that's literally what I felt like. That was not their verbiage, but that's what I felt like. But back to if you were to be, like I said, um, looked down upon like I was or someone who was an adulterer or someone who did something that was against the rules, what would they do to you? So what you're talking about, though, is at that time. Okay, so a little bit of background. You know, that was after, after I had, uh, after I'd left the Navy. Right. And, um, so this is, you know, well after completely when I got out and somebody had come up and talked to us and I probably gave them way too much room. No, somebody, no. Do you want me to tell you what happened? We had your family members come stay at our house and that's when the people came to our house. Yeah. We, yeah, we know which family members. Yeah, yeah, those were your family members <laughs> that came to stay at our house. And they invited so. somebody over, that's right. And Yeah, and yeah, we had we already been... for a little while, and we were trying to be nice, and it was just like, no. I mean, I'm willing to listen to what it's... anyone has to say. That's yeah. the thing, is I will. I'll listen, and I'll be respectful. I'll ask respectful questions. But as soon as you get disrespectful with me and treat me like I'm some kind of scum on your shoe but i can join your church i'm i'm not really listening anymore no and that's and so go back going back to your question that there's there's two things there's a non-believer who might you know have some um would have some type of problems or some issues that in order to be um you know in order to get into the jehovah's witness congregation they would have to repent and they'd have to study for a long time and you have to figure out, you know, what, what it is that you did wrong or, you know, what was considered a sin. And, you know, most of those things at that point, you know, you really have to work to, you know, do some type of thing that's unforgivable. But at that time you'd have to get to the point where you would repent and you would say, Hey, this is, I did this wrong. I shouldn't have done this. And, and then at that time, then, you know, you'd go through the works to be like a publisher and, you know, do so all this So what stuff happens to, what is it, what is a person that's been disassociated? Okay. So disassociated means, um, is somebody who has not necessarily been dis- uh, baptized within Jehovah's Witness. Right. And then, uh, decides well, not just decides to leave, does something that provokes the wrath of the elders and ministerial servants. And uh, because you can't be disfellowshipped because you haven't been baptized, you're dissociated. That's what I am. Um, well, I'm a little bit more than that. But 
at least at this point, I'm disassociated as far as what they're concerned. So what happened to the man that abused you? I, I don't know. I know that uh, at that time, shortly thereafter, he was sent to, um, I believe he was sent to a, a different um, church or he wanted to go to a different church or a congregation that was uh, north of where we were in Washington state. And then as far as, you know, of course I'm going to research the guy, right? Cause I've done it over the years and trying to figure out who this guy is and what he did with his life and find out he goes up to Alaska or something and he's there for a while. And then he came back and um, last I saw, he was right around the same area living near uh Walla Walla, Washington. It must be a comfortable place for him to touch children, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I imagine that's I imagine that's what he did. No, really, people, I've noticed that, like, because of my abusers, like, they like to stay in, like, it's weird. Like, they have particular areas that they feel comfortable in. Well, I, I think um, he had family in that area. Well, yeah. And so at the time that he got into trouble and he just, he moved a little ways north, and, and when I say a little ways north, I think there was another congregation that was like maybe 40, 50 miles away. And so he went to that one for a while and I heard that he got in some trouble up there as well. Well, what did he do? Like, what were you doing? Like, how did, how uh, did he get access to you? Oh, this is a story. So I guess it was around, uh, I want to say it was around eight years old, eight, nine years old. And of course, at that time, I was very active uh, as far as in the congregation doing my thing. I was what was considered a publisher. And that just means somebody knock on doors. I would go out and knock on doors. Right. Um, and especially as someone who was eight years old, um, you know, typically. Well, you were cute, too. You were a cute little eight year old. I would have opened the door for you, and I don't even like Jehovah's Witnesses. And and you know that could be a reason why they're I'm all about sure. having kids out there. I'm sure. Um, but I, you know, went out and did my thing and talked to people, and um, there was a couple times where I would uh, meet up, you know, on Sunday afternoon or so, um, and I would meet up with the other people who were going out in field ministry work. And, uh, I was placed with this guy. Can I ask a question real quick? I can so, call him BTS. How's that? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, um, during this time period that you would go out and do this, like, I just want to, I want to like let our listeners like kind of understand where you come from. They would separate you from your parents and your other family in order to, how did it work? So I, I think at that time, um, my mom and dad weren't going to go and it was just me. Right. Um, and so I would, you know, I'd want to get my hours in. So I was still considered an active publisher, which is something you had to do. And so like on a Sunday afternoon after the service, uh, after church, then you would meet up and whoever was going out into field ministry. And back then they'd give you like a, a little card that had a map on it. 
Right. And then you would go and hit all that, all those houses within that little district. Well, and something that I want to explain to people too, is that you're saying that you wanted to do this. And the thing is, is for anyone that does not know my husband or does not know his character behavior, like he wants to over succeed at everything. He's very perfectionist. I, I did. And even at that time, you know, it was, it was like, uh, you know, this is what I was supposed to do. This was church. This was, uh, you know, my belief. And I'm told that as far as the group goes, that this is what I had to do to be a part of that society. And, and really that's all I knew. I mean, right. No, I understand. I was born into it. Um, and so I didn't know any better. And, uh, at, you know, at that time I, I didn't know anything else that was going on outside except what, Jehovah's Jehovah's Witness told me was going on outside. Right. So it's not like you have any knowledge of, you know, it's like, for instance, um, Catholics and, and, um, you know, others, Baptist and all that, you know, it's that you have an idea of what they are, what they believe, but you don't really know because it's only based off of what they tell you. They believe. Well, yeah, especially and, when you're a child, like, yeah, especially when you're a child and you're told to listen to your elders and to mind and everything else. So they are your, they are your source. Yeah, absolutely. And, and really you're not supposed to have any other source other than what they tell you. Right. So you're really in a situation where you have to listen to them and they tell you everything that you, that they think you need to know. And, uh, you just kind of go with that. Yeah. So. Yeah, I was. I was definitely an overachiever. I was doing more than what I was supposed to do. I I, uh, I wanted to please my parents. I wanted to please the people that were in the congregation. And right. Um. So on a Sunday, we we met up, and uh, you know, Bob Ted's <laughs> said he would take me with him, and so I went with him, and. Uh, I was placed with them, all the, all the elders and ministerial servants that were all there, all the other pioneers that were there. And this guy was, um, as far as I know, he was a pioneer at the time, which is a step up. It's and somebody... so he, he piped up though and said, I'll take Don. Yes. Okay. Yep. And then, um, we went out into, um, field ministry. Now, I don't know if anybody knows, Washington state, but especially Walla Walla, it's a, it's a prison town and it works really well as a prison town. Uh, Walla Walla by the way means like land of many waters. So there's like two or three different rivers and creeks that run right into that area. And it was an old Indian, uh, and a settlement at that time. Um, you know, hundreds of years ago. And, uh, there are some mounds out there but it's a, it's a pretty area, but it's very isolated. So if you get outside of the 30 mile range or so, right, then there's nothing. Yeah. There's absolutely nothing out there. And so we went out into service and he brought me to a really isolated area. And, um, he, he didn't quite say something like, I'm going to leave you here and leave you out here in the middle of nowhere, but it was implied. Right. Uh, I don't think he was quite as, he he did say something to that effect. I can't quite remember the words, but 
he did say something to the effect of it would be really easy just to leave somebody out here and you'd never be able to find your way home. Yeah. So he was ma- he was making those statements that weren't direct to you, but they you obviously he's yeah, making them for a reason. There, there was, was motive. There was only one way to interpret it. Right. Um, and I realized that and I and I was scared and I didn't know really what was going on. And then he started talking to me about stuff and and then he was like, oh, we should do this. And it was. Uh, you know, it was weird. I look at it from my age now and I, I, I mean, of course, I'd know exactly what I would do at that age, at my age now, but. It's a whole different situation when you're only eight years old. No, I, I get it. Been there. And it was really scary. And he made me <laughs> do things. And uh, and I, I absolutely felt horrible because this was something that, uh, especially as far as the congregation and the religion was concerned, you know, I knew that this was considered wrong. Right. And, you know, not just the idea that this is somebody who is older than 18 trying to do sexual things with a child, but uh, also that it was, uh, as far as the religion is concerned, it was homosexuality. Right. And uh, those were all things that were, you know, this was, this was bad. This is a bad situation. Well, yeah. And he was using not only his position but his age and so many other things to manipulate. Yeah. And I was completely manipulated at the time. And, um, I, I remember going home and, uh, he tried to contact me a few more times. And, uh, he even, I remember he gave me a painting that he did. Oh, how lovely. Yeah. Real lovely. And, uh, fucking piece of shit, you know, at some point I told my brother about it, my brother and he, you know, he's almost two years younger than me. Right. And, uh, he even knew at that time that that was not, o- yeah, not okay. Not okay. And, uh, I was very secretive about it. I, of course I didn't want my parents to know. I didn't want anybody to know. Well, no, it's and humiliating I was ashamed and, and you feel dirty and gross. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I get it. I mean, even now talking about it, um, <laughs> it brings up a lot. I understand. But, but that's why we've, we've made sure that we haven't put our children in those situations. No, I, I, I <laughs> would never trust, you know, especially as a kid's growing up, I would never put my kids in a situation like that. I don't care who they are. That's why our kids never went to anybody else's house to stay the night. A lot of times, yeah. They yeah. were really odd children, I'm, I'm sure I'm people just, thought. <laughs> I just didn't trust anybody. I mean, because no. especially when you're in that situation, like this is supposed to be a pioneer. This is somebody who's supposed to be not not high up, but high enough and supposed to be, uh, they are in a position of uh, respect and automatically authority. Right. In, in what they are. And, you know, for me, it was, uh, I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't, I didn't want to get him in trouble. Um, right. because I felt bad about the whole thing, you know, and maybe it was my fault somehow. And maybe it's something that I did. And, 
Um, you know, I just didn't know what to do. And thankfully, um, my brother told my mom and I came home and, uh, this was like me coming home from school one day and I saw the painting in our fire pit. And as I saw that, I was like, well, that's weird. I wonder, uh, who threw that in there, but also, uh, I, I already knew what it meant. I mean, right. there would be no other reason why that painting would be in the fire other than somebody found out. And um, But this is pretty normal. Like, even with my abuse, I wasn't the one to tell my parents that somebody else was. Yeah, because it's other people we confide in. Yeah. And in this case, it was, I had confided in my brother. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm... I'm not, I was never mad at him even then that he had told it. I mean, I, I kind of felt like, um, I kind of felt like I almost, I told him because I knew that he would bring it up. I knew that he would tell my mom. Well, I had told a friend of mine and shout out to Gary Heiner, um, that I had known since I was like three. I mean, literally like we would like walk the streets together. He was like a, brother to me and um I told him and he was just like uh you know taken back by it and of course he was a little bit older than me and one day I came home from school and there was there he was and my parents and the police were there too so I was like yeah so I was like really terrified well I I wish um (laughs) that leads us to the how how this all turned out um they never talked to the police about it. Right. Uh, at that time they had, um, they had set up a meeting and I, I knew my mom, my mom had asked me about it. My dad was there and this was, you know, getting home from school and seeing the painting on the fire. And then my mom going, okay, I need to talk to you about some things and I'm going, okay, well, what's going on? Well, this is what I heard. And, so I, I told her, I was like, yeah, this is what happened. And, uh, you know, well, why didn't you tell us? Because I didn't know what to do. Well, I going back I didn't to want that, to get in trouble. like you told your brother when you came home that day, because I'm just asking because I kind of felt, I was kind of upset with Gary. Yeah. Were you kind of upset with your brother? I wasn't. I wasn't, wasn't up, upset with him at all because I, I knew that. I just, I felt like, you know, it was a big deal and I knew that it was, and my conscience was bothering me. And, uh, I knew that it was something that was wrong. It was something that needed to be done things about because I, I mean, even at that time, I clearly recall having the same, the idea that somebody else, this is going to happen to somebody else. Right. And if it's happened to me, then there's probably another person that it's happened to. And it'll probably happen again unless it's brought up. Oh, yes. And unless it's dealt with. And that's what I'm saying is like my abuser, there was several, several children. So, yes, they don't stop at one. No, they don't. No. And that and that's what I'm saying is that, um, you know, I kind of feel hindsight being 2020 and how I dealt with it. I probably I probably told my brother because I knew that he would tell my mom. Right. And maybe that was a softer way of bringing it to him. And, and I didn't know what else to do. 
Oh, no. I mean, I was, don't get me wrong. Like I was happy that Gary told, but the thing was, is understand that that just with my family, it made me feel more covered with filth. I I understand that completely. And that's how, you know, (laughs) no, I still felt that way with my brother telling because, well, so to move on a, a little bit after, after this happened, um, I was sat down with the elders and ministerial servants and whoever that uh, were part of the congregation. Like how many people came out? Like, like I want to say, you know, this is a long time ago, but I'm, I want to say that there was four other people in the room. All right. And your parents. In addition to my mom and dad who are sitting there right. at this big table and we're talking about this and I'm telling them what's going on. And uh, after I told them what was going on, I was essentially told to wait outside. And uh, my mom was pretty upset when we left. But we we left that night and I said, okay, well, what's, you know, what's going on? And well, they don't want to talk to the police about it uh, because they want to keep this as a, an inside manner. They want to be able to deal with him and give him you know, punishment, uh, and, and discipline him. And, um, you know, I guess he's going to be suspended from pioneering and other things for a while. Um, essentially nothing, you know, that's the, that's kind of the outcast thing. Uh, and I, I remember, I remember an announcement like this Sunday after saying, um, you know, I want to say that he was, uh, he might've been disfellowshipped or something, but he still attended the congregations at the congregation that I was at. They had like a Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon. Right. And they had, so they had different schedules for their churches. So they put me, they put, uh, they had us attend that other one. Right. So, so, you know, all our friends and everybody that we knew we were having to attend the other the other uh, time of the and congregation. did your parents and anybody did they say anything to the to the congregation members about why they were having to attend the other service? Oh no, kind of they thing? would not be. The, so they would not be able to tell them what anything like that. That that would have all kept hush hush and quiet. Like they could have been in trouble if they would have said something to someone. Yes, because that because especially when you have knowledge of why a person you know was disfellowshipped. So it sounds like narcissistic, like gaslighting type shit. Well, it's just, that's the way, that's the way that they handled it. And, um, you know, essentially we were in trouble for what this guy did. I get it. And, and we were told to go to the other congregation. Um, and this guy was supposed to be disfellowshipped or anything, but he, he showed up, he still went to church. Ah. And so how long did this go on that you guys were in this area and he was in this area and you were having to go to a different service as opposed to his service? (laughs) So, uh, if memory serves it, uh, this whole thing only last, this lasted about maybe six to eight months or so before my family decided to leave Washington state. Okay. And, and the, and the, those were the some of the reasons why we left Washington State was because of this whole thing going on 
uh, that, you know, I, I was embarrassing. I didn't, uh, I would see him every once in a while because when their church got out and we were going into the other one, he was coming out of the kingdom hall and he was there. And my mom had, she had expressed frustration with the whole thing because she wanted to call the police and have them get involved. But, um, you know, but the church obviously said something to her that made her not do that. Yeah. Yeah. So she, she definitely didn't, she didn't want to say anything. I mean, and that's part of, uh, you know, how they maintain control within like the congregation is that there's an understanding that we're supposed to keep everything internal because especially as far as the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses go, you know, we're no part of the world and the worldly people aren't going to take care of it properly. Right. And that there's no, you know, we're not supposed to deal with outside organizations or anybody else that, especially as far as that elders are concerned and, you know, the leaders within the congregation, they know best. And of course, if you were to do anything uh, as far as going around what their guidance, uh, however flawed is, um, you would absolutely face social ostracism and um, being cast out. That's how they deal with people. So you're, you're both, um, you could potentially be disfellowship, but at that point, uh, you know, there would be disciplinary and punishment procedures for, uh, you know, even my mom, if, if she had went around the back of the elders and, uh, went ahead and talked to the police, she, she would have definitely been in trouble with them. So then you guys moved though, and you continue to be part of the Jehovah's Witness? Yeah, so let's see. We moved from Washington State, and uh, I know we went to go see some friends at some point in there, but uh, our goal was to head to um, New Hampshire. Okay, and you were going to New Hampshire from Washington State, correct? Yes, so we moved all the way to to New Hampshire. We stayed in Manchester for a little while. And then, uh, we, uh, we ended up going up to Claremont, New Hampshire. Okay. But I mean, there was a couple places in between. Then we went to, we lived in Clarksdale, Mississippi for six to eight months or something. Uh, and then we moved up to Fort Madison, Iowa, which was a pretty cool place. And so all this time you guys are still in the church. Are you still going to church? Uh, yeah, of course we were moving around at that time. So, uh, you know, we still went to church and everything. Of course, that's something, you know, excuse the pun, but you do religiously, you go to church. So as soon as we got into the, the next place that we moved into, we, um, you know, joined up with the local congregation and, you have to tell them, you know, uh, I know that there's some kind of elder feedback or information that goes with you as you travel from one congregation to another. So there's other people that know the situation, like as far as what you're leaving and where you're going to. Okay. And so, so they kind of keep a paper trail of where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. There's a paper trail. They keep those records. That's fucking creepy. I'm sorry. That's really creepy. It is. It's kind of creepy. Okay. And so 
years go by, um, you leave the church at what age? Like that you actually quit going. So when I lived in, uh, when I lived in Claremont. Right. And I'd say it was uh, sometime during middle school. That you just stopped? Well, yeah. I mean, like I was told to go and that I, you know, had to go and, um, and I, I still went a few times. And then after, after a while, I was just like, no, I'm, I'm not going to go. I, I don't believe in this shit. And were I parents, don't believe were in they this. upset? Oh yeah. You know, I was grounded and I, and I just, <laughs> I clearly remember this having a conversation with my mom and dad and just being like, look, I don't believe in this shit. I'm not going to church anymore. No, I'm done. I'm completely done with it. Well, not only that, as you get older, you understand that that is a place where a person was given access to a child and nothing was done about it. Yeah, it was, uh, it was uncomfortable for me. And, And it wasn't just that. It was just that you know, as I started getting older, I started to see some of these control mechanisms and oh, how they yeah. how they dealt with people who, you know, sinned and did something against the church. And, um, you know, it was also my my eldest sister who had left, and um, you know, she had left the church and got out of it, and um, you know, and she was she was sixteen, seventeen when she left, right. And she, she moved away and she was gone and they had threatened her and told her she was a slut and a whore and, you know, that she was doing this and that. And, uh, it was just, you know, all this, all this stuff just started feeling bad and it started to feel like it was, uh, you know, that there, there was just some underlying thing that was very bad about this organization that I didn't like, I didn't believe in it. And it seemed to me that you know, especially a lot of the adults that I was around, uh, you know, they have within the, within the religion, they have a, a frequent topic that comes out about living a double life, you know, and being one way towards everybody in the congregation and then being another way, uh, outside of the congregation. Ah, Isn't that most people? Well, that's my point is it was everybody, right? I knew all these adults, you know, and I, I'm not going to say any, you know, I don't want to say any names, sometimes my parents, sometimes other people, but there was people who were adulterers. There was people who were watching rated R movies that they weren't supposed to. What did was, they feel about drinking? Yeah, well, you could have drink, but you don't drink to excess. So yes, you could have drinks, but. What about smoking cigarettes? I remember no. that being an issue. Yeah, you can't smoke at all. Yeah, I remember that being an issue because when you and I met, not only did I smoke, but you smoked. Yeah. And it was horrible for me. So I remember that. Yeah, you, you can't you can't smoke, um, but you can you can drink, but you're not supposed to drink to excess. Uh, you know, and you, and you can't watch rated R movies. That's for sure. And you can't listen to like secular music and stuff, can you? Uh, no, you could listen to to secular music, but um, in fact, I only know that term just because we've dealt with other Bible thumpers that call it secular music. But otherwise, no, we didn't Donald. necessarily know that that term secular. It was just music. So depending right. on depending on what the what the topic was, like heavy metal. No, you know, you can't listen to heavy metal. 
can't listen to um, stuff that has a theme that has to do with drugs. So right. if there or anything that had so to do rock with and sex. roll was out of the question. Oh yeah, well, you know, sitting on the dock of the bay was probably okay, but any in Credence Clearwater Revival was all right. But as, as soon as you get into anything else that uh, talked about uh anything violence so no, or no drugs Aussie, or no acdc no 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 i he wasn't no. <laughs> no i wasn't what and they said that weren't they the ones that said if you play it backwards it tells you things oh yeah no, no they would tell you that like uh you know in in church you know they would talk about oh well so and so this is uh this is uh if you play Def leopard backwards hysteria then it gives a a demonic message uh, Jesus of Nazareth is is a sinner or something like that. Wow. Oh yeah, and and of course. So I, they literally like quoted these things. Oh yeah, yeah. They would absolutely tell you, and wow. and these were like. Here's another thing, and I think I told you about this not that long ago. Um, John Denver. Do you remember John Denver? Yeah, I remember John Denver. Okay, so there was this big rumor that. Like this was, of course, this is before the And this is a rumor amongst the church, like amongst the Jehovah's Witnesses, correct? Yeah. So if anybody, if anybody knows me, they know that if they tell me some kind of rumor that goes around, I usually research it and figure out what's going on with it. If it's actually real, uh, Snopes.com, I'll throw in some dollars on that, that I, I, I always love their site because they actually research stuff and they, you know, got into it. Well, um, this was before internet so of course you have no access to what is you know what is real or if there's any kind of thing so there's a lot of things you just can't do a research on you can't do a research on on these rumors about john denver at the local library it just isn't going to happen but there was a rumor for a long time about john denver that uh during one of his concerts he asked all the jehovah's witnesses to stand up and, uh, you know, ask them, hey, are there any Jehovah's Witnesses in, out here tonight? And a few Jehovah's Witnesses stood up. And then he told them to leave. What? Leave the concert immediately. He did not want, he was not going to perform if Jehovah's Witnesses were there. Well, I first off, should they be at a concert anyway? Well, yeah, you were allowed to go to a concert as long. I mean, John Denver as, is know, typically but, wholesome. But I know that like, okay, here's the deal. Like for a child, okay. Let, let me let me bring this back around because the reason why I'm asking you these questions is because this is my opinion. Yeah. And I'm sure any professional therapist or anyone would tell you that all of this and isolating you from people, uh, not just people, but societal norms and everything else was literally grooming and setting you up for the abuse that you endured that that's that's just the it's way all, it, it's all control yeah this this is how they control people uh fyi i got to before i forget uh i researched that about john denver and of course i found that that never complete, happened yeah of yeah, course it was a complete no, fabrication but that's what i'm telling you that's what i was telling you and that is that they were just doing it because that's their way to continue the isolation yeah but i mean at that time uh it was considered an official statement even to the extent that we heard about it in congregations and and we should because shun, you, yes yeah i mean they are the they are the number one group as far as you know deleting people and just 
uh, you know, the whole delete mentality as far as uh, just completely ghosting things. If, if we find out about something, you know, it was even like Transformers. I wasn't even allowed to have Transformers when I was a kid. When they first came out, it was okay. And they were cool. And everybody knows what Transformers are. But I guess there was some type of, uh, that it had to do with uh, some type of demonic thing about these were, these were mechanical items that were possessed by a demon. And because of that, uh, they did not want kids playing with Transformers. So you got Transformers and then you got them taken away. Not just got them taken away. I threw them away. I was told to throw them away. Were you crying? Yeah, of course. I didn't want to get rid of my fucking Transformers. That was like my favorite (laughs) toy. It makes sense. I mean, we we couldn't even have G.I. Joe's. What? Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's the other thing. So there's all these things, right? Yep. But not only this, when you leave the church and your family's still in it, it kind of it kind of isolates you from your own family. Completely. Because why? Could you please explain that to the people that do not know? So so I was disassociated at that time and uh yeah, I'm considered a not just a non-believer, but somebody who knew the truth and someone who left it. And so at that time, I'm considered disassociated, which means that, um, you know, I'm supposed to have very limited contact with the rest of my family. They they don't, they... As, or they could get in trouble, is that or correct? They could, or they could get in trouble and they would they would have been in trouble for it. Now, at some point... At some point, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know personally, um, but I don't believe that anybody in my family is a practicing Jehovah's Witness anymore. They still attend church. I think there's only one in that. Yeah, there's only one person that attends church anymore. Right. All of the rest of them are out. Understood. But I know that there's another person that still does every once in a while as well. Possibly. But I'm told no. And how does that make you feel? Um, honestly. Honestly, it, it makes me feel like uh, they are supporting an organization who, um, who had a direct part in and covered up my childhood abuse. And right. set the stage for that other to children. continue for other yes, people. I agree. I agree. That's how I feel about it. And and I and it and here's the thing: it is at this point. So you have that level of disfellowshipped, right? And disassociated. Um. But when I say buyer beware, as far as as far as Jehovah's Witnesses are concerned, um. And when I answer the door, if I ever talk to Jehovah's Witnesses, I will typically ask them if they're in a safe place and if there's anything that I can do to help aid their transition to get out of uh, this cult. And then they'll never come back. No, because I'm considered at that that point an apostate. And what, because, it, and what does that exactly mean? So Explain that. an apostate in, in terms of Jehovah's Witnesses is somebody who would actively 
uh, participate in trying to um, in trying to get people away from the congregation or what they would say is spreading lies and controversy. I don't know about spreading lies, but I would definitely want to make sure that if somebody were thinking about going into the Jehovah's Witness congregation, that they understood that they're getting into a situation that they will likely uh, alienate and isolate themselves yes. from other people. In addition, they that will be used as a ploy in order to keep them in line. Yep. Um, and they will be discouraged from fact-checking any kind of information, and they're encouraged to just listen to the leadership of the congregation for all their information and facts and not to... Um, not get to on do the their internet own research or get on the like internet that. or yeah. listen to anybody else because that that's just wrong. So I would I would go out of my way to encourage people not to to mess around with uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses organization. I would encourage people not to. And like I said, if somebody knocked on my door, I would absolutely I would go out of my way to make sure that they were okay and that they knew that if they needed ever needed help transitioning or out, safe place, yeah. out of it or a safe place or someone to talk to or anything else, I would absolutely give them my ear just to be able to help them or encourage them or do whatever they need to do because they're, they're major decisions that if somebody isn't familiar with Jehovah's Witnesses organization, you have no way of understanding all of it. There's right. just, there's just too much how pervasive no, I'm, this thing I'm is. I'm telling you. Okay. So, one of Don's family members came to visit and I bought a American flag t-shirt yeah. because I wanted them to feel comfortable. And I'd bought our whole family American flag t-shirts. And I it was right around 4th of July. No, it was Memorial yeah. Day. Actually. Oh, Memorial Day. That's right. And I was yeah. actually given the silent treatment and I was about in tears because I was just trying to make this person feel comfortable and included. And I had no idea that as a Jehovah's Witness, you are not supposed to wear flags or like, and even you going in the military was frowned upon. Am I correct? Oh, absolutely. And, and that might be a large reason why I did it. And so what is it with the flag though? Like you're not supposed to tell me how you worded that again. Cause I asked you because I was so confused. So it, it is the idea that, um, Jehovah's followers are to have no part of this world. And, and especially as far as being involved in um, being involved with politics or the military or anything oh, okay. else, that that's not considered acceptable. But Understood. I mean, don't don't feel bad because neither at that time was going to university. Higher education was not acceptable. Oh, wow. No, because if you were if you were well, going, they won't want you to outsmart them or to figure anything out. Well, what they would tell you, <laughs> what they would tell you is that you know that's what it was. If you were taking time away from ministry to go to a university and get education, that the the entire reason for that education is so that you can make more money. So it definitely was because you were being materialistic, and you were seeking out treasures on earth rather than treasures in oh, heaven wow because that time that you're going to school you could be spending it in field service and uh peddling tracks and bibles out to people who don't want them that's fuckery it's fuckery i'm telling you it's well, absolutely and that being said fuckery. we're gonna say fuckery but like the other thing that i want everyone to know that's listening is that 
I came from a big Catholic family, and there was sexual abuse galore. Um, the harlot. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. It, no, the harlot. No, that's what Jehovah's Witnesses calls Catholics. Harlot is the great harlot. Okay. Well, I was a great harlot and yeah. abused like horribly within this family, mentally, physically, sexually, uh, emotionally, and um, I don't. I want to set this clear because I don't want people to be like, you know, turned off and thinking we're some kind of like Satanist or something, or I I don't know, like, but to, to Don and I were very spiritual people and we're not non-believers in a higher power. Um, it's just that like, we've had some really bad, uh, experiences with organized religion. Really bad. And I, you know, I say, I say things and I, I understand that I come off salty about, a lot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I hope that anybody's listening that, uh, give me, give me a little bit of, of leeway just because of my experiences that, oh yeah, uh, that I've had a lot of run-ins with organized religion. Now that being said, I will say that there are some people, you know, in our trials because we've, we've tried out some churches here and oh, there yeah, and seen, we sure have. you know, kind of what was going on. There are some really good people that we've met over the years. Yeah. And there are some people that even within the Jehovah's Witnesses organization there, are, and and that's why I say that I would be there as an ear and I would want to make sure that Cause they're good they know people. that there's a safe place is because ultimately just like I was at eight years old and just like a lot of the people that I knew at that time, there were people who truly cared about other people. Yes. And that's the whole reason why they did it. And even with my parents, I'm not mad at them for choosing to be involved with Jehovah's Witnesses because at that time they were trying to do what they thought was right. And, and I understood that. And I understood, you know, even now, uh, you know, as we raise our kids, it's hard to make those decisions to figure out what is the right thing to do with your kids. And, you know, you find something that you think is wholesome and it's going to keep your kids out of trouble and it's going to build them up. Um, and, you know, in some ways I have a lot to thank for the Jehovah's Witness organization. I can speak on my feet. I can talk to anybody about anything. I've got no problem with public speaking. Those are all things that happened because I was involved with the Jehovah's Witness organization. And that was something that was, I was brought up with at a very early age. And yeah. so I was comfortable with that. Imagine being eight years old and being able to knock on somebody's door and then speak with them and, and reason with them over over the Bible. Uh, and that's, you know, a lot of it is because of my training and because of the way I was brought up. Yeah, you can recite almost anything. <laughs> and, and that's kind of my Did point. Did you read is that, that Bible front to back? Oh, yeah, several times. Several yeah, times. Now I, you know, it's kind of faded quite a bit. <laughs> but yeah, at some point I could essentially quote to you scripture. Oh, I remember when we were first married, I was like, whoa. And when we were in church together, like, yeah, like we weren't in the kingdom hall, but we were, we had went to uh, some non-denominational, we had uh, Southern Baptist. Yeah. And we met some good people. We did. Yeah. That we still have contact with. Yeah. And, uh. But, you know, there are some there are some organizations that use. Let's just say it that that use. Social control. Well, they just they use religion. They use God in order to do their nastiness on this earth. I agree. I agree completely. That's just that's just the reality of it. And it can happen anywhere. So any organization that you get involved with, I mean, the best 
thing that I can say from my experience, from your experience, is don't leave your kids alone with people. No, not and that that's true. And and another is is that um, you know it, it's almost I know that there's no kids listening to this, or I hope there's no kids listening to this. Uh, but that is that sometimes it's okay to, you know, to tell if you're told a secret as a, as a kid, uh, you know, I'm happy that my brother told, I'm happy that, um, that something at least was done well, out yeah, of it, that even though something. it wasn't right. It wasn't the perfect situation. And I personally believe that the police should have been called, um, and should have been dealt with a whole different way rather than just internally, which absolutely was nothing. Um, it really should have been handled in a way that, uh, you know, that was right as far as what, what our expectations of somebody who is uh, abusing children. And that's not the way it was handled. Um, but I do appreciate that my brother at least uh, told my parents and I think that we've always kind of told our kids that. Is oh, yeah. That, and that's what I was going to say. You said, oh, I hope there's no kids. Listen. No, but this is good stuff for parents because these no, are for, conversations. For and, and that's that you what I'm saying is that to have that to have that conversation with your kids about it's OK to tell if you if one of your friends comes and says, hey, I got a secret for you and this is what's going on. You know, if they even if it's a secret that you're not supposed to say anything about if your friend is in trouble or your friend could get hurt again or something else then, you know, they absolutely need to talk to them or be able to talk to you as a parent um, to be able to get that information and then deal with it in a, in a manner that's correct. Which we're, than, we're really lucky because our kids have done that and we've taken kids out of certain situations yeah, and, yeah, we have. and housed them and stuff. So um, I think we're doing our duty. And I think we've always told our kids that, you know, hey, if even if... Uh, even if it happened something that was in the family and you know, it's somebody that we care about as a family member. Yeah. If somebody does something to you, you need to come and tell me right away. Oh, I yeah. need to know about it. Yeah. And, and we need to have that line of communication. I think we've always had that had something available with our kids. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, I don't feel like that some parents purposely do it. It's just something that's not brought up. But you know, once you hear this, I'm hoping that this, you know, has some people thinking that, you know, because I'm going to tell you right now, he was eight. Mine started even younger with a stepdad than with a grandfather, like people in my family um, that I was supposed yeah. to be, you know, that my mother or whoever felt comfortable leaving me with. And um, it, so it can happen anywhere. There should always be discussions. There should always, you know, and, and the inappropriate touching and stuff like that should be stuff that is talked about early on. Yeah, really early. Especially Very before your kids go out of your house yep. and go to somewhere else because uh, even you never school, know. yeah, even never school. know what's going to happen. You don't. Well, thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks.